Let's take our Bibles and turn over to Ephesians chapter number 4. I want to read the text for the morning message. It's found in Ephesians chapter number 4. We're delighted you're here today to start a brand new week here in Northern Virginia. And uh, those of you who are guests, thank you for being here with us. Uh, we do want you to know that those of you who have uh, maybe the first time you're here, you've been here just a couple times, there's a card in the seat right in front of you. It says connection card on the top of it. And we invite you to pull one of those cards out. We love to be able to make contact with people, let folks know what's going on here at the church. If you'd allow us to do that, we would be so honored. And uh, you can fill that out and drop that in one of the offering safes that are mounted on a couple of our walls. Or you can even just leave it on the seat and we'll pick it up there uh, after the service. Ephesians chapter number 4, I want to begin reading in verse number 17. And we'll read uh, down uh, through the first couple of verses of chapter 5. Ephesians 4, by the way, if you're using one of the Black Pew Bibles around the auditorium that we have for our guests, you'll find that at page number 697, page 697 in the Black Pew Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness and greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard of him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, Putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you, with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Ephesians chapter number 4. 
The Moravian uh, brethren are one of the uh, very well-known uh, missionary groups that helped evangelize the world back several generations ago. And uh, the Moravian missionaries were amazing people. Uh, the sacrifices they made for the cause of Christ, uh, some of them uh, found out that you couldn't get onto some Caribbean islands as a missionary, but you could sell yourself into slavery and become a slave on the slave island. And so in order to evangelize the slaves on that island, they sold themselves into a lifetime of slavery so they could take the gospel into that island and witness and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people who had been enslaved and were kept enslaved on that island. These were amazing people, the Moravian missionaries. Uh, they went from Europe to a, a number of parts of the world. One of the parts of the world they went to is the northern part of North America. And uh, history tells us that, uh, that they worked amongst some uh, Inuit peoples in North America. And if we could have that next screen up uh, for the sermon this morning... Um, the, uh, the, in, the uh, Moravian missionaries went to the Inuits, uh, and of course, th the language barrier is, also, is, is always significant when it comes to, um, uh, to uh, preaching and, and, and translating scriptural principles into a language that has never had any touch of Christianity or the concepts of Christianity. And so the uh, Moravian missionaries had some difficulty uh, because the Inuits in their language did not have words for certain concepts that, were, uh, that needed to be translated into their language. Well, one of the concepts that, uh, that they, the uh, Inuits did not have a word uh, is the word forgiveness. And so there was no way to translate the concept of forgiveness into the Inuit language because they did not understand the concept, nor did they have any words to be able to uh, begin to understand the concepts. So the Moravian missionaries made up a compound word. That compound word is on your little worksheet there, right under the header. And uh, if you look at that long series of letters, it doesn't actually look like a pronounceable word, but that was the word the Moravian missionaries created out of the, a series of Inuit words to be able to create the, the concept of forgiveness. Uh, how do you even begin to say that? Issamugijujangainik. Sounds good to you, doesn't it? You know what sounds better to me? Forgiveness. <laughs> Forgiveness. Or the words that they put together to make up that word. There's the list of words that they put together to create the concept of forgiveness that they could begin to teach the Inuits what forgiveness is. Not being able to think about it anymore. What a way to, to, to convey the concept of forgiveness. When I forgive somebody of something they've done against me, that means that 
I am not able to think about it anymore. It's gone. It's not in my heart anymore. It's not in my mind anymore. It's because I can't think about it anymore. You know, forgiveness is a profound concept in Christianity. It's the heartbeat of Christianity. And it's the heartbeat of healthy relationships in our homes. We started back at the beginning of January. We started a, uh, a little series or mid-January, a little series of messages uh, about family. Keeping the team together. Team family. Designed by God. Uh, family as God designed it rather than family as man designs it. And so we've been spending some time in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. Learning about the very first family operating as God designed it to operate. And then in the last uh, two messages dealing with Genesis 3. We saw how that sin ruined the design. And how sin came into the relationship of the family and ruined the family. And we spent two messages looking at the broken relationships. The relationship with my own heart. The relationship with my God. And the relationship with other human beings. All ruined by the consequences of sin. And then the last message we went deeper into trying to understand what is sin. What did they do? What was the sin that broke the family that God had designed? This morning, I want to turn away from that, and I want us to look at a concept that is the glue that can put broken relationships back together again. The glue that enables brokenness to be restored. The glue that enables sinful people to live under the same roof And not kill each other. The principle that allows family relationship to be good and healthy and strong. And it all revolves around the theme of forgiveness. And so the bluff of the message, the bottom line up front is that maintaining relationships requires forgiveness. And in order to be able to be a forgiving person... I have to win two battles in my life. Because being a forgiving person is not easy for a sinful person to be. Sinful people don't warm up to forgiveness easily. And so I have to learn how to forgive. And that becomes a matter of winning two battles uh, in my life. And the first battle that I have to win is I have to win over self. I have to win over self. I've asked you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 because it's a powerful chapter on, on family relationships and a, a powerful uh, chapter on the concept of forgiveness. Uh, the victory in the area of forgiveness begins with winning the battle over self. And that, of course, is the root of all battles. Because I is the middle letter of sin, as preachers for generations have uh, tongue-in-cheek noted. I is the middle letter in sin. It's also the middle letter in pride. 
And self is at the core of sin. We saw that last week with Adam and Eve. And wanting what they wanted was at the core of the sin that plunged the human race into depravity. And so we're, we're thinking about winning the war over something that's very natural to me. To look out for myself. To be concerned for myself. To want what I want. To like what I like. Uh, to be happy when I'm getting what I want to get. When, when, when I am at the center, then there will always be strained relationships around me. In order to become a forgiving person relationally, I have to win the battle over myself. You'll notice in verse 22 of our chapter that we've, uh, we're looking at this morning, verse 22 says, put off the old man. Put off the old man. That's, that's the former manner of living, the former conversation or manner of living, the way you used to live before you got saved. That was natural for you to always be thinking about yourself. It was natural for you to always be wanting what you want. That's natural for an unsaved person. But God says, put off that old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. What's a lust? It's what I want. I lust after, that's what I want. It's my desire. And I lust after what I want. And so the old man is centered on a selfishness where self rules. So God says, you got to get rid of that. You got to put off the old man and you got to put on the new man. Now, the new man that you put on requires a renewal of your mind. Verse number, verse number um, 23 says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man. So, so it takes a change in the way I think about life, it's a change in the way I think about people, it's a change in the way I think about myself. It requires a renewed mind. Now, how do you renew your mind? Uh, you read something that has the information about, that you don't know. So you renew your mind by reading the manual that will renew your mind with the truth that you don't know, but it's in that manual. And so you've got to, as Romans chapter 12 tells us, we need to have a renewed mind. We need to go to the Word of God and let our mind be renewed as to how I think about myself and about people. And when I renew, when I do turn to the Bible and my mind is renewed, I begin to live like Jesus Christ. That is the epitome of a renewed mind, how Jesus thinks. And so he said, put on the new man, which after God, which after God is created. After God is the pattern. It's patterned after God. The new man is patterned after God. Patterned after God's character. Like women used to, um, and some still do, but not as many as used to, buy a pattern from the cloth store, or whatever the store is that sells cloth and patterns. And they go and they buy a pattern, tissue-thin pattern, and they bring it home, they buy a bolt of Material, they lay out that material on a big flat surface. And then they lay out that paper thin tissue pattern. And they 
straight pin it to the cloth so it doesn't shift and move. And then they carefully cut the cloth on the lines that are on the pattern. And when they finish, they pick up that piece of cloth and it looks just like the pattern because it was created after the pattern. And the new man is created after God. He's the pattern. My mind is renewed to think like God, to be like God, to act like God. And the new man that I'm to put on as a Christian is the very character and image of Jesus Christ. As we're told in in the book of Romans, chapter 8, we're told that God's plan and design is that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. And the whole doctrine of sanctification is all about the Holy Spirit day by day conforming me to the image of His Son. That's what He's talking about here. Put off the old man. Don't be like you used to be. Let the Word of God renew your mind so that the new you looks remarkably like Jesus Christ. Acts remarkably like Jesus Christ. Thinks remarkably like Jesus Christ. This is becoming Christian. In Mark chapter 8 verse number 34. It's on your little worksheet there. The Bible says. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also. He said whosoever will come after me. Do you want to come after me? Do you want to be my disciple? Do you want to be a follower of me? It's going to cost you something. If you want to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Jesus says, you want to be a Christian? It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be roses. You want to be a Christian? You want to be known as a Christ-like one, a follower of Christ? It starts when you are willing to say no to what you want. That's denying yourself. Say no to what you want. Say no to what comes natural to the old man in activity and in treatment of others. You have to deny yourself. You have to take up a cross. And when that was, when Jesus said that, everyone in Israel knew what a cross was. They saw Roman crosses with corpses hanging on them regularly in Israel. It was the most excruciating capital punishment that Rome could use to cause fear in the lives of their subjugated countries so that they would not disobey Rome. They knew what a cross was. It was an emblem of death. Jesus said, you have to say no to yourself. You have to even die to yourself. Take up the cross meant die. Be executed. Have no will of your own. Not be about what you want. Not be selfish. You must say no to yourself. Die to yourself. And then you'll be ready to follow me. And accomplish my purpose and plan in your life. Now what, what kind of a teaching is this? This sounds radical. It is radical. Christianity is radical. It's radical to, to purposely say no to yourself. Die to what you want. 
in order to follow God in what he wants. This is radical. And so radical because at the core of every one of us is self. It's me. It's what I like, what I want. And at the core of every person is the I that results in all sin. And and so in order to become a person that is very different than what I was as an unsaved person, I must win the battle over myself. This is the main battleground of becoming Christian in behavior. It's winning the battle over myself. It's a well-known author, uh, preacher and author. He didn't write this, but he has this printed out and he has it on his desk. It's entitled, Dying to Self. He didn't write it, but he wanted to read it regularly. He wanted it to influence him. And so he printed it out, put it on his desk. And it goes like this. When you are forgotten or neglected or purposely set at naught and you sting and hurt with the insult of the oversight, but your heart is happy being counted worthy to suffer for Christ, that is dying to yourself. When your good is evil spoken of, when your wishes are crossed, when your advice is disregarded, your opinions ridiculed, and you refuse to let anger rise in your heart or even defend yourself, but take it all in patient, loving silence, that is dying to self. When you lovingly and patiently bear any disorder, any irregularity, or any annoyance, when you can stand face to face with waste, folly, extravagance, spiritual insensibility, and endure it as Jesus endured it, that is dying to self. When you are content with any food, any offering, any raiment, any climate, any society, any attitude, any interruption by the will of God, that is dying to self. When you never care to refer to yourself in conversation, or to record record your own good works, or itch after commendation, when you can truly love to be unknown, that is dying to self. When you see your brother prosper and have his needs met, and can honestly rejoice with him in spirit and feel no envy nor question God while your own needs are far greater and in desperate circumstances, that is dying to self. When you can receive correction and reproof from one of less stature than yourself, can humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly, finding no rebellion or resentment rising up in your heart, that is dying to self. Now, I don't know about you, but God's still working on me. 
the battle with me is the place where where we begin to create good relationships with our families. When it's not about me. That's when we're able to win a battle that is essential in our lives. And if you're anything like me, it'll be a lifelong battle. And I would say probably this pastor who's known all over the world, whose books are read all over the world, must have felt that it's a battle he still struggles with every day as well. And maybe that's what prompted him to print it and put it on his desk where he could regularly read it and remind himself that he must win the battle over self in order to be effective. So that's that's one of the battles we have to win in order to be able to... uh, to be effective as Christian people, and particularly in our families. And when we win, and to the degree that we win, the battle over self, the second battle more quickly falls into place. It's the battle over bitterness. The battle over bitterness. Oh, bitterness is such a problem in relationships. Bitterness is what often drives people to the point of irreconcilable differences. Bitterness. Yet when you've won the battle over self, and when the old man is discarded, victory over bitterness is often a natural result. I'm able to live without bitterness If I'm not so focused on myself, that that's all important. Bitterness. And so verse number 25 of our chapter begins with the word wherefore. Because you have have dealt with the old man and you've put on the new man so that you're thinking like God, acting like God. Then it's going to bear practical fruit in life. And so the word wherefore. And then he begins to list a list of practical characteristics that come into play when one has won the battle over self. You'll come down to verse 31, verse number 31, and many of these verses have the old man, the new man, the old man, the new man. Don't do this, do this. You come down to verse number 31, and verse number 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. See, these are the characteristics of the old man. To be bitter towards somebody because of something in the past. To to say things to people that hurt them and tear them down and cause grievous pain in their lives. Corrupt communication. When When I... when I begin to, to win the battle over self, then, then bitterness becomes less of an issue. I don't hit, well, I guess you don't have rewind and replay. Do you have rewind and replay on, on, on smartphones? I don't know. You don't, you don't hit the rewind and replay over and over again to replay what they said, to replay what they did. 
to replay how bad they were to you. You don't rewind and replay and rewind and replay and rewind and replay. It causes that bitterness to grow deeper and deeper and deeper in one's heart. Bitterness that a person can't get away from. It colors everything in their lives. It, it goes deep. It becomes anger and wrath in their lives. And, and around them is relationships that have suffered because they're an angry person. They're a bitter person. They're a person who, who never lets a person off the hook for what they've done or what they've said. Winning the battle over bitterness requires that I realize that's a characteristic of the old life. That's normal for unsaved people. But that's not God. Aren't you glad God doesn't get bitter? Aren't you glad God's not a God of bitterness? That when he forgives, it's as far as the east is from the west. It's buried in the depths of the sea. It's gone. Aren't you glad God's character is the character of forgiveness? The Inuits had no word for it because it was, they hadn't heard the gospel. It wasn't in their character. It wasn't in their experience base. They didn't understand it. Until some missionaries came with the word of God. And then they had to f make up a word with some of their words. That when you put them all together, that would maybe help them begin to understand this concept of forgiveness. It means that you're not able to remember it anymore. It's gone. That's forgiveness in one's life. When bitterness is gone, there's no scorekeeping. When bitterness is gone, there's no grudges. When bitterness is gone, there's no getting even. And bitterness is a very real part of home relationships. So much so that God even said to husbands specifically in Colossians 3.19. It's in your little worksheet there. Colossians 3.19 that says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Even, this is so real in family experience. This is so real in the homes of Christian people. This is so real in, in, in straining relationships between a Christian husbands and Christian wives. That God even singled it out and said, Now guys, don't be bitter. Don't hold grudges. Let it go. Let it go. Bitterness. In relationships. What is bitterness? Well, when we talk about a bitter taste in the mouth, sometimes it's a taste you just can't get rid of. It's just there. You have to try to eat something sweet or something. Get rid of that bitter taste in your mouth. When you have a bitter feeling in your soul, it just doesn't go away. It just is there. Again and again, your heart hurts over and over and over again. It stings over and over again. And the Bible tells us, you know the passage in Hebrews well. The Bible talks about that root of bitterness. When something is not forgiven and it becomes a root in my heart of bitterness. And every time I see that person, I have to go and walk on the other side of the road because I don't want to talk to them. Every time I pass them in the hallway, I look the other way 
when, when something has hurt me so deeply and I have allowed it to remain because I'm unwilling to forgive and let it go. And it becomes a root in my heart. The Bible says that root of bitterness will someday surface. And when it erupts to the surface, many are impacted by that root of bitterness. Many are defiled. And so in family living, when, when I am not, when I struggle in this battle over self, and, 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 and I'm not focused on what's best for my wife, what's best for my kids, what's, what's, and, I, and it's all about me. And I lose the battle over self, then become bitter when I'm not king in their behavior. And that bitterness is allowed to remain. And forgiveness is never issued. Relationships are torn apart. How do we, how do we keep the family together? How do we, do we uh, build relationships that last a lifetime? Uh, I think I remember correctly, Kevin's grandparents, both in their 90s, still married, still happy, living together, side by side in their 90s. How do you build a relationship that lasts a lifetime? You have to be committed to forgiveness. You have to be committed to not being offended by people's treatment. You have to be committed to letting go of hurts. Now, sometimes it's easy because sometimes the person admits they did wrong and they ask for forgiveness. That's easy. But even when they, when they don't, and you don't write it down in the black book and treat them accordingly for the rest of your life, but you forgive them, even if they don't want to be forgiven. But for your sake, for your heart's sake, you forgive them. And you let it go. That's the miracle drug in healthy relationships. To be committed to forgiveness in life. Verse number 31 says, Let all the bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another. I love that. Put away the bitterness. Let kindness take its place. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers of God. It's interesting, the word translated followers there is the word from which we get our word mimic. Mimic. As a matter of fact, if you saw it written out in the original language, it would look like mimic. Mimic God. Be an imitator of God. When he says, be a follower of God. He's saying mimic God. Imitate God. Watch God and then practice the very same movements. Watch God practice the very same reactions. Become an imitator of God as dear children. as It's the word agape. As children of God's love. And agape love, the word translated dear, agape love is the love that is not centered in the deserving character of the one I love. I love them because they deserve love. I love them because there's things about them that please me. It's that word which means I love them in spite of themselves. I don't love them 
because they deserve to be loved. I love them because it's in my heart to love unlovable people. That's the word used in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. He loved me when I was unlovely. He loved me when I didn't deserve to be loved. He loved me in spite of me. And that's the word God uses here. I'm a dear child. I'm a child of God's love. And I'm to mimic him. I'm to imitate him. By being kind and being loving. Walking in love. Letting God's love become the pattern that I'm cut out after. So I become just like God. That's the miracle drug of good relationships. When we treat one another with love and forgiveness and kindness in our homes, in our churches, in our workplaces, in our communities. When we win the battle over self, which enables us to win the battle over bitterness and live as people of kindness. Lincoln, President Lincoln was known as such a man. He was, history has recorded him as such a man. A man by the name of Emerson, who knew Lincoln well, wrote of Abraham Lincoln, said his heart was as great as the world, but there was, and, and he used the word great as, as the, the old English used to use as large, as encompassing. His heart was as large as the world, but there was no room in it for the memory of a wrong. There was no room in it. It was big, but there was no room in it for the memory of a wrong. After the, the war between the states, uh, the Civil War, President Lincoln was asked how he was going to treat the rebellious Southerners when they finally had been defeated and returned to the Union of the United States. And the person who asked the question expected Abraham Lincoln to speak of his, in, in haste and speak of, in, in curtness, of the vengeance that was going to be brought against the rebellious Southerners. But you know what Abraham Lincoln said, according to historians? Abraham Lincoln said, I will treat them as if they had never been away. <laughs> I will treat them as if they had never been away. What a statement of what forgiveness is. To treat people as if they'd never said that. To treat them as if they had never done that. To treat them as if that had never happened. Have you ever had someone that you would cross the street so you didn't have to see them eyeball to eyeball? Have you ever had someone that you look the other way so that you can't catch lock eyes and have to recognize each other? Have you ever had someone who reached out to shake your hand and you refused to shake theirs? Have you ever had someone of which you have a bitterness in your heart because of something of the past that you won't let go of? That's the essence of brokenness in relationships. The health of relationships is the ability 
to forgive. I want to close by getting you to turn back to Matthew. Let me read a, a parable that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter number 18. We'll close with just reading this parable. It hardly needs explanation, but the message it conveys is very powerful. Matthew 18, a conversation Jesus is having with Peter, and the conversation led into a parable. Matthew 18 and verse 21, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say, not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence, piddly sum compared to the, what he had owed his master. And he took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O oh, thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. And so the moral of the story. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. It would be a sweeter world if everyone forgave everyone who did them wrong. It would be a happier world if everyone won the battle over self and bitterness and was able to live without any black book of memories, but able to shake every hand, embrace every person, smile into every face, and have a good relationship regardless of the pain and the hurt that have been caused in the past. That is heaven. <laughs> that is what heaven's going to be like.